Thank you so much for tuning back into Here's the Deal. Today I am sitting down with my friend Rich Bracken and Rich is a keynote speaker and emotional intelligence expert and TV personality. So Rich and I are both from Kansas City but we met on social media and our friendship has blossomed from there. I had Rich on initially to talk about his personal weight loss journey because while he does look like the vision of health and wellness today, he was not always this way. And he lost 100 pounds over 20 years ago and has been able to keep it off. So he tells us how he was able to achieve that goal and how he's been able to change his life. He did not do anything drastic. He was simply consistent. So in his words, you have to build a lifestyle so that you can get back to center faster. So since he is an emotional intelligence expert, we did talk about emotional intelligence and how you can interact with others in the best possible way. We also dove into how to change your partner. And spoiler alert, I'm just going to tell you right now, you cannot. So stay tuned for the episode to figure out the ins and outs of how you can change your partner. But then also we ended the episode talking about imposter syndrome. And I believe that we all suffer from imposter syndrome, no matter how confident or qualified someone seems on the outside. We all have this little voice inside of our head. So how do we get over that? And I love what Rich said. He said, imposter syndrome stops us before we ever get started. And that made us move right into our conversation on mindset, ownership, and deciding. So no matter what your goals are, whether it's fitness, lifestyle, career, being a better parent, just developing yourself as a person, you're going to take something away from this episode. So please enjoy and let Rich or myself know if you have any follow-up questions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm very excited today. As usual, I have my friend Rich Bracken here with me. And funny story, I got to tell them how we met because yeah. Rich and I are both from Kansas City, um, but we didn't meet in Kansas City. We met on Instagram and I think through a mutual friend, Willis White, maybe. I mean, I don't yes. even know. Yeah. Willis White. I don't even know. And then one day I was at home in Kansas City and we met up and we had lunch. And I mean, it's just, it's amazing how you can connect with people over social media. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's a kindred soul thing, right? I mean, we have so many things in common and this one, this one individual that was the catalyst of our introduction saw those similarities and, you know, I, I, I stopped short of, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume it was like an instant bestie kind of thing Yeah, where we just, we just vibe. We have so much in common that it just, we just hit it off. So yeah, that's a pleasure to be here. Awesome to see that you're doing this and I'm, I'm honored to be a guest. Thank you so much. So you guys, since you don't know Rich yet, anyway, Rich is a keynote speaker, media personality, and podcaster. And I was telling him, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. So, you know, I didn't plan on asking you this, Rich, but how did you get into that? How did you get into keynote speaking, into being a media personality? 
Yeah, it's so it's 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 a funny story, and I and I actually um, did an interview on the same topic the other day, and what I said is that. Most people are born with that chromosome that makes them afraid of crowds, microphones, cameras. I was born without it um, ever since I was a kid. Like I legit remember being a fifth grade kid singing California Girls by David Lee Roth at my talent show. And like I owned that stage and I, I can remember the footage vividly because I, that's just who I am. I've always like my dream job is being the host of The Price is Right. Like legit, I called the production company, no joke, when I heard that Bob Barker was retiring because that's what I wanted to do over and above anything else. I still will hold on to that dream until the day that I die. Uh -huh. um, but the, the keynote speaking and the, the media stuff came about because I was always kind of that positive guy, you know, because of my own history, I, I've had plenty of bouts with depression and, and negativity and things like that. And so I decided for myself, I was going to be more on the positive side, which is that activity, that activation of positivity on a daily basis. And so I started um, doing more presentations. I'm a PowerPoint nerd. So I was, I was the one that was always brought up to do presentations and I just got comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the media thing came about. Um, so the keynote speaking kind of took off because I found emotional intelligence as my key topic that I wanted to talk about. Um, and as that grew and grew and grew, it became my niche story. And that was the one thing that I kept conveying. And it's a universal topic. And it was really, it's fun to, to continue to do that. The media thing was funny because I, so I'm a husband and father. I have uh, a now eight-year-old and an almost five-year-old. So when our five-year-old was a baby, I think he was maybe three weeks old. Uh, my wife had a girl's night out. It was my first night just with the boys by myself. I'm like, no, I got this. No problem. You know, we got this. No big deal. You go have fun. And legit, the minute the garage door hit the ground, like all hell broke loose. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And so at the end of the night, when my wife comes home, I'm passing on my back, which I'm a stomach sleeper, so that's rare. And my older son was on my chest. I'm holding him on my chest. He's asleep. I'm asleep. I'm holding the baby's pacifier in his mouth off the side of his crib. And I'm covered in every fluid in my house. Um, and, and so I wrote a blog called dear moms, you're amazing. Cause there's something like dads have a specific role in life. And I think that, you know, even as empathetic and, 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 you know, high sensitivity as I am, I still have the dad role in my house. Mm -hmm. And so I took it upon myself to say, Hey, look, moms, like I, all the respect in the world. And it was based off this, this humbling experience. So, um, Fox four in Kansas city, one of the anchors read it and then reached out to me and said, We've never heard of anybody having this kind of perspective. Would you want to come on and talk about it? Oh my gosh, I so, love this. Yeah, so I go on. I do a segment with Nick Vasos, one of my favorite people in the entire world. And I get done. I'll never forget this as long as I live. I get done and you know they give you an earpiece or they give you a microphone and the, the anchors have an earpiece. And so they're de-miking me after my segment. And Nick turns and says, oh, by the way, the producer wants to see you on the way out. I was like, oh God, did I cuss? Like, what did I do? I did not, I, like, I immediately thought like, oh, what did I say? Did I say something offensive? Like what was wrong? And I walk out and in the hallway is the, like two of the producers and one of the station managers and they go, and they stop me in the hall. I go, where the hell did you come from? And I went, what are you talking about? They're like, you were so much fun. Would you want to come back and do another segment <gasps> sometime? And I was like, sure. And so what is it now? Four years later, four and a half years later, I've been doing a monthly segment on Fox four for four years now on a variety of topics. So it's wow. just been a lot of fun. That is so great. I love this so much. And that makes me feel like 
it's possible. <laughs> it's <laughs> happening, Kylie. You know, it still happens. The news always wants stories, and health is always a big topic. Just saying. All we're right. Gonna, we're going to get you on TV because you need, I mean, if anybody, I don't need to be on TV. Look at me. I'm a clown. Thank you. I need to be on TV. The world needs to know. <laughs> right. Accountability right here is recorded. We're going to get you on TV. Yes. That's my mission for 2021 is make sure that you get on TV. Oh my gosh. I love you so much. Okay. <laughs> so you briefly alluded to the struggles that you have had, yep. Um. you know, because my podcast it is not just about weight loss, but when you overcome something like being overweight, mm-hmm. I mean, you just prove to yourself how strong you are, how resilient you are, and that you can do anything. So right now, I mean, you are the vision of health. Mm-hmm. I know that you can't always tell what some, how healthy someone is by looking at them, but you guys, Rich is a lean, mean machine, take care of himself daily. Um, I'm assuming you get enough sleep. I hope you're getting enough sleep. <laughs> I try. I try. <laughs> But you weren't always this vision of health. Mm. So let's talk about this. Tell me about your childhood first. So, um, so I appreciate you saying that because I work really hard at it every single day. And and here's why is that. um, So as a child, I was a real thin kid, played every sport, was constantly in something. Um, And then third grade, my doctor told my parents that I had asthma. And so being an only child, my parents were like, you're not going outside. You're not going to run. You're not going to do anything. So uh-huh. I was, I went from being like the year round outdoor sports kid to being the year round indoor McDonald's and video games kid. Really? And nothing against McDonald's or video games, but when you're doing it all the time and I'm eating, I'm eating like, I remember eating an entire bag, like a full bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, just sitting there playing Atari, which yep. tells you how old I am. Um, and so thing. I just, right. I, I'm like, I, I don't care. I, I've got cinnamon and sugar hair and I'm proud of it. Um, <laughs> And so I, I became a heavier kid. I was the Husky jeans kid in class. I was, you know, I was one of the bigger kids in my school and around sixth grade, uh, one of my buddies asked me if I wanted to join the football program. I was like, yeah, you know, that, that would be great. I've always wanted to play football. And so I was an offensive lineman. Um, and then I wound up playing all through middle school, um, played high four years of high school ball and was an offensive guard and an inside linebacker. And I graduated, I was, to 230 when I graduated. Um, and then I played one year of college ball, uh, tried to transfer, I played division three college ball, and then tried to transfer to division one, found out how not fast I was <laughs> um, <laughs> real quick. Um, even when you, even when you try to walk on at a team, that's not that good in D one, you're still yeah. low on the totem pole. If you're not D one is D one. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a humble pie if I ever ate one. Um, and uh, so I decided, you know, I was done with sports, done with football. And so I, I gave up the sports and gave up the exercise, but didn't give up the eating. And at that point, too, my identity was stripped away from me because as a child, as, as you know, going through depression and being bullied and going through all these negative self thoughts, it was really hard for me. So I bought into that identity of a football player and a protector. I was protecting my friends like that was my job. Mm-hmm. And then when I was done playing football, that identity was gone. And an identity that I had sat in for eight years was, mm-hmm. was immediately ripped away. And so I went back to the insecurities and went back to the darkness, went back to the depression and, and low self-worth and low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of doing something about it, you know, the thing that I chose to do about it was eat. Yeah. You know, I kept the eating habits, but I got rid of all the workout habits. So when you're eating um, boxes of pasta for lunch, I mean, like full, like uh, what was it? Um, suddenly salad. Like that was my jam. So the, the ranch suddenly salad. Yes. That was my lunch. 
like the whole box, not just like a portion, like the whole box. Whole box. Um, and then knocking out a large pizza for dinner. I mean, you can oh, do yeah. calories on that are just insane. And you're not, I mean, legit was not doing any exercise at all. Wow. Um, and so I decided to go on a weight loss journey and decided I wanted to get down. I was a 260 was my biggest weight. Okay. Um, and I wanted to lose, I wanted to get down to 200. I figured that was a good number, you know, would felt, felt good about it. Um, so a hundred pounds later and almost 25 years later, here I am, um, hovering between 160 and 170 on a good week mm -hmm. and have kept off that hundred pounds for uh, almost 25 years now. That's absolutely amazing. And there's, so there's several things that I want to talk about, about this. Sure. So first off, I see that identity piece a lot with athletes you know, this is a very common theme. If you're listening to this and that sounds familiar to you, maybe, I mean, if you're a woman listening, you didn't play football, but maybe you played soccer or volleyball or you swam, you could eat whatever you wanted and you had the activity to back it up. But then they come to me after college, they don't know what to do. The activity is gone and also their identity is gone. And it's just, they flounder so much. Mm -hmm. So how did you, like, what was the first step? You made this decision. You have to decide. I love that you decided. So what right. did that look like? I'm deciding. And then what action did you take? Sure. I think, I think the other part of that post sports transition is the knowledge factor mm. uh, because especially in college, your, your workouts are determined for you. Your awesome. nutrition is determined for you. So you really don't have to think about it a whole lot. Um, and you know that, you know, you're going to go out and practice football for three hours. You're going to go practice soccer or tennis or whatever your sport was for two, three hours. Even if you were involved in like a, an intramural, you're still playing something an hour at a time. So you're, you're exerting yourself. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was really educating myself on what am I eating? What am I doing? What is, what is my, what, what do my workouts look like? Mm -hmm. Um, I had my, another story I'll never forget. I had my diet analyzed by my health professor at the university of Memphis, and, and, you know, I told him, I was like, I want to lose weight. I don't know how, I don't know where to start. This is, mm -hmm. this has been my life. I've just eaten whatever I've wanted to eat because I'm just meant to be big and lift weights and run and play football and all this stuff. And he said, well, you know, keep a, keep a journal for a week and bring it to me and tell me like measure all, you know, keep track of all your portions. You know, there's no shame here. You can, you know, bring in whatever you do and tell me whatever you eat, which was a long journal. I, I think I, I think I had pages stapled on the back of the book. Um, <laughs> But he, he did, he ran it through some analysis. He was developing a program at the time with one of his colleagues and he ran it through and we sat down and he showed me this chart. You know how like bar graphs are supposed to end at a certain point? Like my, <laughs> the line on my, like my cholesterol, my calories, my fat, my sodium were off the chart. Oh my just gosh. Not even, not even close. And so mm -hmm. he, he basically said, let's just, let's take this in phases. We're not going to, we're not going to switch this cold Turkey. So he, um, he got me off of soft drinks and fast food right out of the gate, 15 pounds gone. Like that was just, just that. And, and uh, from an exercise standpoint, I had been a power lifter. Like I was a nationally, uh, nationally ranked power lifter in high school. And so to go from the mentality of you're not going to go bench over 300 pounds, you're not going to go squat 400 pounds. What you're going to go do is you're going to go walk a mile every single day. Mm -hmm. and go buy some 10 pound, 15 pound dumbbells and just do lots of movement mm -hmm. and doesn't have to make a whole lot of sense, but just move your body. Yeah. And so the mentality of that, like the mental change of that was huge for yeah. me. Mm -hmm. But once I started seeing results, I was like, oh, this works. Okay. 
I'm onto something here. And so it was that knowledge factor that was a big differentiator for me as well. You know, I, I love this because there are so many people out there who do weigh 230, 250 pounds, not, and not just men, women. Mm-hmm. I, I frequently work with people this size and there is, you, you don't know what to do mm-hmm. because it does seem so daunting mm-hmm. because there's so much work to do. But let's, let's reframe what Rich just said. He stopped drinking sodas and eating fast food. People are doing that. Okay, there's no judgment. Just let's try and eliminate that or one of those things. And then you started walking. Walking is the absolute best thing you can do. And if you are carrying around 100 extra pounds, what a great place to start. So it's easy on your joints. Yeah. Yeah. And, and two, I think it's also the, um, the consistency factor, because I think we're also a society that wants things done instantly. We want the overnight change. We want those things. And I've seen way too many people get on some sort of like a fad diet or do things the wrong way. And it works temporarily. Yeah. But I'm here to say that that little bit of dedication, that consistent behavior over time has led me to my 20, you know, 24 plus year weight loss, keeping it off. Like mm-hmm. that, I've changed my life I've changed my lifestyle and my knowledge. Yeah. That's the other big piece of it. Well, you know, so you are one of the 5%. of people who go on a diet, that may not be the exact percentage, but 95% gain it back and then some. So you've been able to keep it off. I want to ask, how long did this process take? How long did it take you to go from 260 to 170? It took just around a year and a half. Um, And it was worth every single day. It was worth every single step. It was worth every single bit of the work that I put into it. Um, Because again, I think I'm also going to say that um, at one point I remember, I remember a friend of mine asked me like, Oh, you should compete. You ought to get into some like fitness competitions. You got to do this. Mm-hmm. I said, ain't never going to happen for me because mm-hmm. I will never, ever be able to give up wine, cheese, and bread. <laughs> just, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, like, not I, I'm not going to enjoy the process because I don't want to give up my favorite thing. So I'm not, I, I say that to say that I'm not like this dietary angel by any yeah. stretch of the imagination whatsoever. Right. The difference is, is that when you build the lifestyle, you know how to get back to center quicker because you've trained yourself. You have the mentality and the knowledge that I can, you know, I can afford to go do this. And I don't, I don't look at it as like a reward punishment thing. Nope. Like I just know if I'm going to have a fancy dinner or if I'm going to have that extra thing of sushi, or if I'm going to have wine and cheese one night, just because mm-hmm. then, you know, I'm going to maybe have to work a little bit longer tomorrow morning, or I'm going to have to go for a little lecture, a longer walk, but you know, it's just, but it's, I don't mind doing it because it's worth it. Yes. So this is so great. You built a lifestyle around this. And the longer you do this, that, like you said, the easier it is to get back to that center point. So if I'm understanding, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you didn't do anything extreme. Nope. I did not. You simply were consistent. Right. Now, what I will say is that I think the only extreme part of my journey um, was my battle with body dysmorphia. Oh, yes. Let's and, talk about it. Yeah. And, and there, there are still times where that, that ugly little voice creeps up um, because it's, it's tricky that once you get to a point where you see yourself as a certain fit, size, shape, whatever that it winds up being, like you almost become, you become obsessed with what you can be, but you become obsessed with what you were, which yeah. is a dangerous, it's a dangerous tightrope to walk. 
Um, so what I will say, it's gotten like there's a storm rolling in, so I know my my lighting has shifted. Um, it's like this this new aura, like I'm I'm dropping, I'm waxing poetic, and all of a sudden like <laughs> the, the lighting has changed. Like it's not a it's not a stage trick. It's a storm rolling in. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I again, I think there are times that, and there were times that I would look at myself in the mirror and be like, oh God. Like I need to tighten this up or I need to do this yeah. or I need to do extra abs or I need to do this and this. And then now looking back on it, I can see a picture from that time. And I know when that was, I know the scenario. So I know that the picture matches up at the same time. There are pictures that I see of myself. I'm like, Holy God, like I would kill for that body. Like I, I, I was jacked. I'm not afraid to say it. Cause I earned it. Yeah. I was ripped to nobody's business, mm-hmm. but that's the same person that was looking in the mirror going, Oh, I'm so flabby. Oh my gosh. I need to tighten my obliques. Oh my. And I constantly found those things to pick at. And I think that was my biggest battle throughout the entire thing. That was the biggest extreme. I'm so glad this came up. I've actually done an episode on body dysmorphia with my friend, Joe Iben, who is a therapist. Hmm. I'm glad it's come up number one, because it's men and women suffer from this equally. Mm -hmm. And I honestly believe none of us, truly know what we look like. I don't think we're seeing what's actually reflected in the mirror because of everything that you just said. We, our vision is tainted by our past and our expectations and the identities that we hold on to. So you have to be really honest with yourself and say, look at those pictures. Even if like I have clients take pictures of themselves and I'll say, come back and look at this next week because you're not seeing it right now. Right. Right. It's, it's amazing. Oh, well, and, and, two, and you know, this just as well as I do is that our bodies change by the minute. Yes. So there's never going to be like, I think I can think about a picture that I took of myself one time that I, it was, it was hands down the fittest I've ever been mm-hmm. visually, aesthetically, like the fittest I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee you that my body did not look that exact same way that evening because of what I ate, what I did, what mm-hmm. I, how I conducted my, it didn't look like that way that, at the end of that week, promise yep. you. So this yep. mentality that we're always going to have this perfect body mm-hmm. is so false. And once you understand that, that was my biggest aha moment was like, oh, like legit, my body looks different right now than it did at six o'clock this morning. Yep. And so that once you understand that, it's a game changer. Because then it's all of a sudden so you're not chasing this this dragon of impossibility because then you're like, oh hey. And the other thing too, and I and and I'll I'll bring in an emotional thing, is that um I, I said something to my grandfather one time and he said, you know what, you're gonna look back on the times that you had and you're gonna regret the times that you were so hard on yourself because life is good. Mm-hmm. And if you if you look back and say, God. You know, if you spend your time now and say, you know, I'm, I, I could be slimmer, I could be this, I could be that, I could be that, and not appreciating who you are, you're going to look back one day when you're like 70 and think, wow, I wish I was at least somewhat had any kind of muscle tone whatsoever. Yeah. So don't, don't, don't downgrade and don't, don't be so hard on yourself now because you won't always have these times. You won't always have these opportunities and sexy is a mentality. Yeah, like it totally be- is. Like I, I have met so many people that by societal textbooks aren't aesthetically sexy, but carry themselves with a confidence that makes them beautiful, that yep. makes them feel that way. So it is, yep. it's all, it's all a mental thing. And I love what you said. Like, I don't think, I think your, your point's valid. I don't think any of us know how we look. 
We don't. So, you know, to that case, why not paint a vision that you really love? Like, be like, I look good today. Like, mm-hmm. this is awesome. Exactly. Well, and to your point about not being so hard on ourselves, you know, before I hit record, Rich and I were talking about things just catching up and I'm working with people. I can't believe what people are dealing with right now. And they've been dealing with it for a year. So it all started with pandemic. Okay, great. And then homeschool. Great. But this shit storm has just, people are dealing with aging parents, tragic deaths, Mm -hmm. personal stuff, job transitions, and so when you pile on being hard on yourself in terms of the way that you look, we have to be kinder. We have to be kinder to ourselves. You know what? I, I want to I start a movement now, and this will last for a while post whenever things get sorted, no matter what your subjective thoughts are. I want to start a mentality of like, I look damn good for a pandemic. Uh-huh. I mean, yep. honestly, like, and everybody's had their own journey. You know, mm-hmm. I, I will say that I invested in a Peloton early on and it was a lifesaver for me yep. in the pandemic. It absolutely yep. was a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we all need to, I mean, we need to give ourselves more grace on it. And, and that makes the journey easier. Mm-hmm. It makes the challenge easier and it makes you appreciate life no matter where you're climbing from or where you're climbing to. Absolutely. I mean, that self-compassion will serve you on your journey. People, I wish I had the study, I could quote it directly, but studies have shown people who exercise self-compassion are more successful in their weight loss journey. Because otherwise you just beat yourself up and then you have that guilt, which is added stress. And you cannot downplay the effect of stress. If you gained 15 pounds this last year, it's it's okay. It's totally mm-hmm. fine. Right. And, and life, I, I can't agree with this more. Life is hard enough as it is. Mm-hmm. And so why would you want to exasperate it by saying, oh, on top of everything else, mm-hmm. I don't look good in those jeans. Right. I mean, shut your face. Like, I mean, everybody is beautiful in their own right. Mm-hmm. And if you want to make some adjustments, great. Right. But don't ever discount. And this is speaking from experience. Don't ever discount the beauty that you have in this moment mm-hmm. and how oh, good powerful. you look in this moment. Mm-hmm. And again, if you want to make your adjustments, that's great, mm-hmm. but don't do it for any other reason than just, you know, you want a good challenge or you want something to try out, or you want to, you know, maybe feel a little bit more confident in, in a swimsuit. Like that, there's nothing wrong with that. No, but I agree. There's nothing wrong with it. Start from zero. Don't yeah. start from zero. But you have, you always have to ask yourself is now the right time. Hmm? for me to focus on this. I mean, in your case, yeah, it was the right time. If you're carrying a hundred extra pounds around, we got to address that. So let's come back to that for a sec. You are working with that professor. Was, was he with you that entire time or did he just get the ball rolling? He got the ball rolling. He, he said, you know, here, so I had him, I had him for that semester and it went, I remember being early on in the semester when I, when I went to him um, and I had him that semester. And so the time, you know, the change was gradual, um, but he saw some of the change there. Um, but what I found in that journey, especially in the, in the front end of it is that I'm a great self-motivator mm-hmm. um, that I was given the tools and the knowledge and I had the drive and the ability to carry it through. <clears throat> again, not that it was easy, not that I was 100% stuck to it, you know, all the time. But in that ability, I wasn't relying on anybody else to make me do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can hear my sons in the background. There. <laughs> they're, they're as vocal as I am driven. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, 
to me, that, that's, a, that's a big, important part of it. Yes, I mean, there are people that are going to need trainers and people are going to need guidance and people are going to need nutritionists. And I don't discount that one bit. Right. Um, but I think there are also times where you're, you need to be given tools and figure it out. And, and if you don't want it bad enough, like if you can't make yourself get up and go do an exercise or, or you know, make the right choices at a grocery store, if given the right knowledge, yep. then you got to question why you're doing it in the first place. Yeah, that's on you. And this is a huge thing I think that needs to be talked about, this ownership piece of it. Hmm? As adults, the only people that can keep us accountable is ourselves. Right. Nobody can do it for you. You shouldn't have, well, I shouldn't say you shouldn't have to, but there comes a point when you have to, like you said, use the tools that you have been given. Right. It's on you. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I also tie this back to one of the motivators of weight loss too. Don't do it for anybody else. Yeah. Don't do it because you want your husband to think you're sexier. Don't do it because you want your mm-hmm. kids not to laugh at your dad bod, you know, don't do it for anybody else. Do it for you. Do it because you want to feel healthier. Do it because you want to live longer. Do it because you want to, you know, I, I, I just, I love the idea that, you know, I can wear certain things and not feel bad about it. You know, mm-hmm. I was the kid that used to wear a t-shirt at the pool. Cause I thought it hid how fat I was. Yep you know, learn later on that that doesn't work out as well as I thought it did, <laughs> um, but do it for you. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, that's where the accountability piece comes in. Don't do it for your trainer. Don't do it for your wife. That's making you get up and go do this, or don't do it for your husband. That's, you know, that's, that's bought you the Peloton, like the commercial, you know, that was so, so controversial that made them yes, a billion very controversial. Uh, right. Um, do it for you. Do it because you want to be satisfied with your own ability to challenge yourself. Do it because you want to be accountable to you. And that will, that will lead itself to some great stuff. And I'm going to make myself not as orange. (laughs) Well, and I would also Ah, argue that, you know, if I do it for someone else, I potentially might resent them. Sure. For make, you know, in my mind I'm doing it for them. So I'm going to resent them because I feel like they'll like me more, love me more. I don't know. Right. You know, and I joke, but this is not a joke at all. Mm. Pat could not care less how lean I am. Right. That is, he, all he wants is me to be present with him. Mm-hmm. He wants me to be affectionate with him. Right. If I have visible abs, he does not care. Actually, he probably prefers if I don't, because if I do, I'm crabbier. I'm, you know, yeah, like, you know, there are certain things you have to do to get that lean. He'd right. rather me be more fun loving, not have to worry about everything I eat. Right. So don't do it for your partner. They don't right. care how lean you are. Yeah. And, and two, how would, how would you feel if, if you went down this assumptive path of, if I get fitter, my spouse will want me more Ugh. when in actuality, they just wanted, they would, to your point, they wanted proximity. They wanted time. They wanted communication. They wanted to share things. They don't, I mean, they don't care if, if you look one way or the other, they want to feel loved. And they want you to be, you know, be happy as well. So if you're, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons and you're barking up the wrong tree, you're going to be really disappointed if you're like, Hey, look at me. And you walk into, you know, you walk into your bedroom and you've got abs and lingerie for days. And they're like, I just want you to laugh with me. Right. (laughs) Can you imagine like all the blood, sweat and tears and and dietary changes you go through that and be like, wait, you wanted to sit on the couch and eat cheese and talk? Like, are you kidding me right now? Uh, So don't, don't do it because you want those things, you know, do right. be happy with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's that intrinsic motivation. It's got to come from within. Yep. 
Oh, this is so great. So, you know, the other thing that Rich is an expert in is emotional intelligence. I love emotional intelligence because I am an observer of people. I feel that I'm very emotionally intelligent. And that's one of the things that makes me a great coach and connector because you can, if you can learn how to read a person, you're going to be able to better connect with them. So talk to us about emotional intelligence. Tell us what it is first in case someone doesn't know. Yeah. So I, I always sum up because I'm a, I'm a simple mind. Um, I always sum up emotional intelligence like a dance. So you have to have your own coordination with your own body, but then also when you're dancing with somebody else, you've got to, you've got to match up coordination and, and, and choreography with them. Um, and so what emotional intelligence is, 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 is division between two different things. It's your self self buckets. And then there's also the social bucket. So when you talk about self, you've got self-awareness and self-management. So it's how you feel and then what you do with those feelings. Um, and that to me is the biggest starting point because um, I believe it's the statistic was that it's around 70% of people don't actually understand the feelings that they're feeling when they have, when they happen. Mm-hmm. So you may be thinking one thing and feeling one thing, but it may be triggered or, or expounded by another instance or another emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you understand your feelings uh, and then you start understanding what to do with them, sorry, it's like downpouring here. So everybody's freaking out. Um, so if you're, if you're doing these things to understand your emotions, and then it depends on what you do with them. Mm-hmm. That is when I, I coach people all the time on what I call um, trigger journals. So take, for instance, if you go through a day and you wake up in a certain mood and maybe, you know, your coffee's perfect, your workout was great and the music's great and you're having a great morning. And then all of a sudden you get an email from somebody and it changes your mood. Oh you know, yeah. You know, cause it's all about dealing with both sides of the emotion. Uh, let's just assume negatively, all of a sudden that triggered you in a different direction, but anything that triggers you. So go back to the description before your coffee was good. So it's, it triggered you in a, in a positive way. Your music was good. It triggered you in a positive way. So I always encourage people to like at lunchtime around midday, think about the things that really triggered you the most. And what did, what did you do in that response? Uh, and then same thing at the end of the day, do some reflection on the day. But what I found is that when teaching people this, you practice a different response. So I'll give you an example. I had a friend of mine, or not a friend of mine, a colleague that I worked with that just drove me nuts. And legit, every time I saw his name on a meeting, and I had a weekly meeting that he was a part of this group, I I would stress out on Wednesday because I had to go to this Thursday meeting. I just hated it. Mm -hmm. And then one day I was like, you know what? That's my emotional trigger. I'm going to practice a different response. So as opposed to walking in being like, oh, this son of a, you know, (laughs) I would walk in. Hey, Mike, how are you? How's your day going? What's going on? What can I do to, what can I do to support you? And it, it flipped the dynamic like that. So then the consistency of that behavior allowed me to take my energy and my power back as opposed to being bought, you know, being controlled by this individual and yeah. he wasn't trying to control me. I was letting him do it. Um, so that's really the self part of it is that self-awareness piece and the self-management. And then um, when you talk about the two-person dance or the multiple-person dance, when you when you think about the social side of things, it's social awareness, which you know, as a trainer and, and, and as a coach, those are the things that are really important because it's how you're observing people, body language, tone, really active listening, making sure that you're in tune with the individual that you're working with. Mm-hmm. So that piece, and then the relationship management. So it's what you're observing from the other person and what you're taking in from them and then how you're combining it with how you think and feel and what you're doing with it. That is relationship management. So it's really, you know, seeing, so if you're working with somebody and you think it's going well, but you're actively observing them or you're actively listening to what they're saying, you're like, oh, this isn't going the way I thought it was. You know, we talked earlier before we recorded about 
um, speaking in front of an, an audience. You know, you can pick up on those visual cues because I can see people's faces and I can tell, are they following along with what I'm saying? Are they buying into it? Do they, are they, do they understand what I'm trying to get across? And if I see that people are not engaged or connected, I can change because I'm an active listener and an active observer. But if I'm not paying attention up there and I'm just like, hey, everybody's loving my speech and I'm just going to say what I want to say and I'm just going to go down that way. And everybody at the end of it is like, <laughs> get off the stage. You know, so I'm, I'm not connecting the way I should. Same thing with interpersonal communication. Pay more attention. You know, it is hard because of digital communication. We're so reliant on text message and social media and emails. That it's, you can't pick up tone and those things unless you have a really good creative emoji that goes along with it. Um, yeah. Guilty. I'm a, I'm a gift. I'm a gift guy. Like Made I said, love the gifts. Right? Um, but it, it is really hard. So it's, it's really getting in tune with the communication that you have with somebody else, but it, it helps you balance your life, helps you balance your emotions. And who doesn't want to be less stressed and less anxious all the time? I mean, yeah, get on board yeah, right here. Like 100% of the audience. You know, I've heard an analogy of this, which I truly love. Um, like with your instance of the coworker, Mm -hmm. of instead of letting them influence you, you take charge of your influence or how you feel being the thermostat versus the thermometer. So yes. you're in charge. Yes. You're going to set yes. it to 70 because that's what I like my house at, even though Pat likes yeah. it at 70, 64. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of going down to their, their energetic level, mm -hmm. let's say. Right. Very cool. You know, this is interesting. Um, Cause I have, once people start to get control of their own health and wellness, mm -hmm. a lot of times they want to change somebody else in their life. Yep. And, um, my advice is don't cause that doesn't work. Right. But I feel like this emotional intelligence might have a place in that. Like when we try and change someone, it's oftentimes really, really frustrating and, mm -hmm. Like, what advice do you have? You're like, okay, I got my life together, but now my partner is still eating the Doritos while watching all the reruns of Friends. What advice right. do you have to someone like that? Like, they've gotten their life together, but their partner hasn't yet. Sure. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you based off that description to quit looking in my living room window. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think I, I'll combine a couple of different things that I've learned over the years. So I think number one... Um, what you're again it goes back to your your self-awareness so you're proud of what you're doing with your accomplishments but if you're using your self-management in an ill-advised way so instead of saying i'm proud of me and i'm just going to keep living my example and if somebody wants to you know i've never pushed health on anybody else if anybody hears my story and is like tell me more great i'll share all the information in the world but it's not my job to push my story on you because you're not me yeah um so to those kinds of people i would say look be the example. And if somebody wants to come along, because, you know, we, by nature, if we see somebody that's happy, or we see somebody that's enjoying their life, we're curious what they're doing. Because a lot of us, and a matter of fact, I just did a segment on the news this morning, or yesterday morning, um, that only 13% of the population calls themselves very happy. So are we're all, yeah, we are the unhappiest we are as a country in the, in, in the unhappiest that we've been in the last 50 years. This right. makes me so sad. I am very happy, just so you know, and I'm not afraid to tell you, I am right. very happy. Right. Um, but that makes me very sad. Yeah. Oh, it, and it is. But it, at the same time, it's there's there's that combination of what you're doing with your self management, how you're conveying your knowledge and what you're sharing. But then I also like one of my favorite books of all time is called The Four Agreements. Oh, and yeah. 
yeah one of the best books that ever written so don miguel ruiz if you've not read that book please go read it it's an easy read it's a little bit deep at times a little bit philosophical but if you hang in there and, and read through it it's it's phenomenal he also has a book called mastery of love um same kind of concepts but it's a great relationship book. And one of the things he talks about in there is that, and this goes with not just romantic relationships, but interpersonal relationships, is that we as individuals are meant to live what he calls a dream, our own individual dream. And we are responsible for our own happiness. Mm -hmm. And if we find somebody and he uses it in the relationship standpoint, the ideal situation is that you as a happy individual in your world, in your dream, coexist with somebody else who's happy in their own right. So you're not codependent. Yeah. That is the ideal situation because you're own live you're living your own happiness, and yes, there's some there's some there's some connection as far as you know you want the other person to be happy too, but it's not codependency. Yeah. That is really huge. Same thing with this kind of this kind of interpersonal relationship. Like mm-hmm. I can tell you all day long. Like I, we you know my wife and I know some people that like legit hate working out. Like there's mm-hmm. one friend of hers that keeps going back and getting plastic surgery and different procedures because seriously she does not want to work out. So she would rather go get Botox. She would rather go get liposuction. She would rather go have her, whatever, like her throat. She was having something the other day, like her throat. Something. Oh girl, like, you can do anything. I mean, it's right, amazing right? what you can do with the injectables. <laughs> like it's insane. And so, I mean, and, and she'll say, yes, I'll go spend $25,000 on plastic surgery because I don't want to go spend $15 to go to the workout of the gym or go buy a, yep. you know, a couple of dumbbells at Target and use those at home. Like she she would obviously avoid it at any cost. Clearly. So I could tell her till I'm blue in the face. It's like, hey, you want to work out and you'll get healthy and you'll be happier with your body. And all this stuff, she'd be like, yeah, you can you can take your yep. you can take your kale chips and shove off. Like she right? doesn't do that. So Oh my God. This is so amazing. I think it's Jim Rohn. Correct me if I'm wrong. That said it like the best thing you can do for your partner is take care of yourself. Something to that effect. Right. Absolutely. If I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. We all want to be happy and we all want our our partners and our, our friends and our family to be happy as well. But you know, if you've ever tried any part in your life to control anybody and their behavior, that's the definition of insanity right there is trying to do that over and over again. Like, it's just, that's not what we're meant to do. We're not puppeteers. No, I tell people, I'm like, you guys, people pay me to tell them what to do and they still don't do it. So what right, you, right. you telling them what to do for free is going to make them change because it's not. <laughs> and you can, the thing is, is that there are certain people, like I have worked with people from a, from a marketing and business development standpoint that I've taken statistics, facts, proof points, case studies, testimonials, like this works. You have to do it. Like they come to me with a problem. I want to have a bigger book of business. I want to have more revenue. I want to make more money. Great. Here's exactly how you do it based off of what you said you want to do or how you, how you're comfortable about going about doing it. Legit. Here's the blueprint. Uh, I'll see if I can get to it. Like, are you joking me? Like I literally gave you everything you could possibly like, okay. And you know, you and I talked about this earlier too. Like, I'm not going to beat myself in the head because you don't want to get off your butt to go do the things you need to go do. Like, that's not my, I'm not your babysitter, nor am I your parent. I'm not going to go do those things. So good luck. If it doesn't work out for you, I don't want to hear about your sob story because you know exactly the path to walk. And if you don't walk that path to get to the, get to the end line, like, sorry, hate it for you, but 
I can't make it any more obvious. No, and, and you know, this, it's so funny, the crossover. This is the second time I've had this conversation today in two different scenarios. Like this applies to business. It applies to relationships. It applies to your wellness journey. Nobody can do it for you. They can tell you what to do, but you have to be the one to follow through. Like, you know, I've had business coaches. I've had nutrition coaches. I have strength training coaches um, and, and therapists too. Like therapy doesn't work unless you do the work. Right. So right. that's where right. that ownership comes back in. <laughs> if people could just be accountable and, and motivated, oh my gosh, the world would be a such much better place. Like go to a counselor, do some business, get, get healthy, but do it because you need to do it. And then yeah. let's just all take responsibility and do the right thing. Yeah. Right. So the last thing I want to ask you about is imposter syndrome, which is real. I don't think anybody does not suffer from imposter syndrome. Just like we don't know what we look like, we right. all have imposter syndrome. So yeah. just assume that everyone, just assume that I have it. I assume that Rich has it. Um, let's talk about it. How do you yeah. deal with imposter syndrome? Well, do you suffer from it? 100. Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, um, there was, a, I, did a, I did a segment on this as well, where I believe it was 72% of, this, of the country has battled imposter syndrome at some level. Um, some, some reports say up to 80%. Um, so it is a very prevalent problem. And really what it is, it's, it's how you talk yourself out of things that you probably are qualified to do. Yeah, guilty. Um, or, yeah, and it's, you know, it really is, it's, it's le- to me, in, in my own personal experience with imposter syndrome, it's it's letting those voices of the past or letting voices that aren't my own rule what I do mm-hmm. or convince me that I'm good enough or not good enough. Um, the most painful example, one of the most painful examples of it um, is that I, you know, I was a DJ in a former life, which you know. Yes. Um, and I, I got to open for one of the most prolific producers in dance music history. Avicii, and right? What's, I open for Avicii, another guy named Stonebridge. Okay. Um, and he is, he is like one of the, like the, he's, he's a legend in the, in the industry. And he told me, he was like, you know, if you ever decide you want to write a song, you know, send it to me. I would love to hear it. I got so in my head, I wrote 13 introductions to songs and my imposter syndrome was like, no, it won't work. And legit, keep in mind, this is also my first foray into writing music. I was like, you know, I've always wanted to write a song. He's like, if you ever write a song, let, you know, send it to me. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I've got to send this guy the perfect song, the song that's going to blow his socks off. Instead of saying, like, I told him to his face, I've never written a song. I didn't stop to think for one second that, oh, he still said, send me whatever you have. So that correlation, like, I've never written a song. Great. Send me whatever you want up writing. I would love to hear what you have, you know, what you work on. Mm-hmm. Like in there, it was, it was never said, don't send me anything until it's perfect. Mm-hmm. It was send me what you have. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I started saying, oh, I'm not good enough. Yep. What, how I, I lucked myself into this. He, he didn't mean that. Right. Um, you know, all the typical things that we say when we, when we battle imposter syndrome, this is not my place. This is not, I, I'm going to fail at this. Who's going to listen to me? I legit never did it. Mm. And I, I still, I kick myself to, and you know, I'm still in touch with him to this day. I'm like, does that offer still stand? It's only been 10 years. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but you know, to me, it's, 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 it's one of those situations that we live like nobody else is talking us out of hands right. down. Like mm-hmm. nobody's saying, you know what? 
Kylie, you can't possibly start your own business. You can't possibly get fit. You can't buy. Nobody's coming out and saying that. Now there are some jerks in the world that would say that, but 99% of the time it's us telling ourselves that we can't do those things. Mm-hmm. And it's unfair to us in our own happiness, our own progress mm-hmm. to do that because we do have the capabilities. And the other problem with it is that imposter syndrome, and especially in that example and others that I have is that imposter syndrome starts us before we even get started. Yep. And in that progression, you learn so much about yourself mm-hmm. and you grow and you learn and you try and you fail and you try and you fail and you try and you fail until you find your groove. Then that's where it's meant to be. But imposter syndrome says you shouldn't even take the first step. Mm-hmm. Like you have no business doing this. Find something else. This is not your jam. And that is just a negative voice. Like I would say, like the evil spirit that, that is afraid of your success will tell you, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, as we're talking about this, this is basically, it is body dysmorphia. It's like self dysmorphia. Right. Because you're seeing who you used to be versus your true potential or who you truly are. Just some old version of yourself. Mm -hmm. You're just not ready. Your mind's the what's getting in the way. 100%. And when I love talking about mindset because we are in total control of our mindset. Hmm? Now, what's interesting, since we talked about feelings, I understand that percentage of 70% of people, whatever it was, don't understand what they're feeling. Or do you remember what that was? 72% 72 of people don't understand their, their emotions when they feel them. So I understand this because, you know, I'll I'll be in a scenario, like, let's say therapy. I love talking about therapy. how, How do you feel? I don't know. What is there? There's happy, there's sad, there's angry. What else? Like, so I get it and she'll get out the wheel of emotions. And I'm like a fifth, like a five-year-old. I'm like, mm, this one. Right. Well, I totally get that. And I'm pretty much in touch with myself for the most part. But with the feelings thing, it's weird. Mindset, I have mastered. But the feelings is where I get into to trouble. So that's what I'm working on now. Just FYI for people, like just being real with you. Um right. It's, and, it's just, and, the, and those things shift too. I mean, like mm-hmm. in you, you know, I think if anything that we've learned in the past 15, 16 months is that you can have a great plan or you think you can have it all together <laughs> and something, seriously, something will sideswipe you, knock you off your feet. Yes. And then what, you know, then what happened to your, what happened to your great plan now? So um, don't think for one second that, you know, it's kind of like the, the image of your body, like your body, your, your emotions change every second, your, your feelings change every second memories. I mean, God knows memories pop up in my head all the time about stuff where, you know, sometimes they're intentional. Sometimes you're like, why the hell am I thinking about that? Yeah. Um, and so it really, it's, it's really up to you. And I love that. Like you are in control. You are in the driver's seat of your mindset. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's where emotional intelligence again, comes back in is that if you start feeling negatively, it's up to you to, to how long you want to stay in that. Hundred percent. Nobody, nobody's like nobody's taking your head and forcing you into a negative feeling. Yeah, it's up to you to decide what you want to do and how long you want to be there. Uh huh. And you know that's honestly a fine line that I feel I've had to walk um, over the last fifteen months because I want everyone to feel what they're feeling and, and understand the weight of all that everyone is carrying. But at the same time, how long are you gonna let this shit get you down? Like, I mean, here we are. Are we still using the pandemic as an excuse? Are we, so it's, it's a very fine line. I think as an emotionally intelligent person, okay, 
when am I, when do I exercise compassion? When do I exercise a little bit more tough love? Right. I don't know. You know, again, it's, it's all, it's all in how, how you want to let things determine, because again, there are going to be things outside of your control. Mm -hmm. Most of life is outside of your control. Um, yeah. so, but it is, it's up to you in your mindset and your decision-making, like, what do you want to do with this? How do you want to sit in this? What is, what is, what is your response to this adversity? Mm -hmm. Um, you can sit and I've seen friends of mine, you know, that they've been dealt an unfair hand or a change has come and they've sat in it and they've used it as an excuse for way too long. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that I'm the, I'm the judge, jury and executioner of everybody's feelings and the time limit and the, the, you know, the law limitations of how long they're, they need to be, you know, feeling a certain way. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think we all, we all need to get to a point where we want better for ourselves and that we want to drive our mindset to the right place. And that no matter what comes our way, that we want what's best, not only for us, but for other people around us. Yeah. Um, and we all are, we're resilient by nature. And oh my gosh. Yes. Also, That's why we're alive. That's because exactly, of our resilience. Exactly. And we, we let certain things make us not resilient. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about taking that control back. Mm -hmm. Well, and not to toot my own horn, but, you know, I think back about, I've had several changes in my life, self-inflicted changes, because I didn't like what was going on. And I didn't like the way I was feeling in my skin. I didn't like a certain job. I didn't like that job. So change it. Like right. the, how we started this very first podcast, you're weighing in 260 pounds. You didn't feel good. So you decided to change. Mm -hmm. It all starts there deciding. Yep. And, you know, and, and I understand again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that every solution is fixable overnight, nor yeah. is it going to be an easy change. Yeah. But we all know at the end of the day, if you're not, if you, if you don't have a really good picture of what your vision of happiness looks like, mm -hmm. spend time figuring that out because yeah. Once you picture that, no matter what comes your way, it's easier to figure out your way back. You can't get to where you want to get without knowing where you want to go and knowing where you're starting from. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a really good exercise. So anyone who's listening to this and you're like, oh, I get it. Fine. What does, what does happiness look like for you? I like, I'm still saddened by that statistic about right. 13%. Right. Good night. This explains a lot of things. Right. Well, and, and again, it's, you know, I, I talk a lot about reverse engineering your, your goals mm -hmm. and that's weight loss goals. It's job goals. It's happiness goals, whatever. But, you know, again, sitting in, and we've also talked about spirituality and, 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 you know, energy and things like that. Like I am a big fan of meditation. Mm -hmm. I have a, a spiritual consultant that I work with. She's a, she's a great advisor. Mm -hmm. And so she asked me a question one day. She said, what is your, what is your like if you could describe visually what happiness looks like, feels like, sounds like, smells like, what is it? What does that look like? And I did, I sat there and I, I just kept describing things. I was like, you know, this is what it feels like. And this is what I'm doing. And this is what I, you know, feel when I wake up and da, 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 da. And when I did that, when I put a detailed description to it, and this was probably two, two and a half months ago, I can say without any apology or without any hesitation, as I'm sitting right now, even talking to you, Kylie, um, as I'm sitting here right now, this is exactly the beginning stages of what that vision of happiness became. Because I knew these are the things that needed to happen. So I pictured that and I went back and said, okay, in order for this to happen, these things need to happen as well, walking backwards and saying, okay, and here's where I am now. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So by doing that, I laid out the steps again, like think about the last time you planned a trip or last, you know, last time you wanted to go find somewhere in town to go take whatever, you know, you had to go run an errand, you had to figure out where the place was, yeah. figure out where it is. You walk back, figure out where the path is backwards. So here's where you are. You can get there a lot easier. Yeah. So that visualization was a game changer for me. Game changer. Oh, I love that for you. This is good. I'm glad it's all unfolding. It is. It is. It's about to get real fun. Oh, you guys work with the spiritual advisor. We Once, can't say enough good things. If you need one, hit me up. Kyla, I know, I know we, we both have resources. Like if you need right? it, hit us up. We got, we got good ones. Oh my gosh. So let's say somebody is listening to this podcast and they have this big corporation that -hmm. they would like you to be their keynote speaker. How do we find you, Rich? Everything you need to know and find out about me is on richbracken.com. All my my podcast, my blog, my my TV appearances, all my speaking stuff uh, is on there. And then everywhere that you need to find me on social media, you can find through that hub. That is the hub of all things Rich Bracken, richbracken.com. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Like not only was it inspiring, I feel like we actually got some tools that people can use to decide on their own and make some positive changes and take some action steps forward. 100%. This was fun. Well, thank you so much for your time, Rich. Thank you for having me, Kylie. It's always good to talk to you. Always good to see you. Yeah. We can do it again, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to be coming on mine too. So we're, this is going to be, this is going to be a back and forth thing. Yeah. Cause we got to get me on TV. Uh, that's happening period. Like we're talking about that this week because okay. we're going to make that happen. All right. Well, I'm on it. I'm ready All to right. go. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rich. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, bye.